Hello and welcome to The Leap of Faith. We're back with you on Friday evenings for the next four weeks at this time, exploring topics of faith and belief. Since we were with you last in June of this year, a lot has happened with the reopening of places of worship. Many have returned to the buildings, while others have remained at home accessing services online. But what other changes are ahead for people of faith in Ireland, and in particular the Catholic Church? Well, to discuss this more, we have a panel of guests in our Limerick studio, Bishop Brendan Leahy. Bishop of Limerick, a member of the Irish Bishops' Conference. Bishop Leahy is currently co-chair of the Irish Interchurch Committee. He's president of Veritas, a trained lawyer and barrister, and a former professor at Clonliffe College, Matter Day in Dublin and Maynooth. And he's also engaged in the Synodal Pathway in Ireland towards the Worldwide Synod in 2023. Ursula Halligan is a journalist in residence and lecturer at Dublin City University and co-coordinator of We Are Church with Colm Holmes. They describe their focus as working for change and renewal in the Catholic Church, seeking shared decision-making, equality for women and a welcome for all. And from his base in Berlin this evening, Irish Times journalist and author Derek Scally. In researching his recent book, The Best Catholics in the World, Derek travelled the length and breadth of Ireland and across Europe, going to masses, novenas, shrines and seminars, talking to those who've abandoned the church and those who've held on. You're all very welcome. Bishop Lee, can I begin with you this evening and a moment to acknowledge the work that's been done by you and your fellow bishops and priests in keeping connected with parishioners. It seems there's been no shortage of people who've stayed connected online or watched services on RTE News Channel. But has this made the practice of faith even more remote? Well, I think people thank God for the means of communications because people have ma- kept great contact. And in a way, I felt it's been a moment of recognising again that church isn't just the buildings, just isn't just the structures. The church at the end of the day is the heartbeat of life of, of the part of the people. And I think that's what's come to the fore in all of this. People in families have been gathering together, gra- grandchildren preparing the iPad or whatever for their grandparents. So a lot is going on at the level, I would say, of life, just ordinary life in homes. So in a certain sense, the church in its heartbeat has come to the fore here rather than the actual external structures. Of course, it is true. We're all slightly afraid of the fact that, you know, you just might get used to this more kind of virtual way of engaging. Nevertheless, I think through this virtual means, the church in its, as I say, real identity has also urged. And the topic that we're going to explore this evening will include the Synod that's coming up uh, in a couple of years' time. And you said in a recent interview that uh, it will fail unless it begins with true listening to people. What's going to get in the way of that listening? Well, obviously, like anything, we all have our filters, all of us. We all have our filters. We have filters that come from our education, filters that come from our background, our culture. And I think those filters are uh, our, our prejudices about the, his, the history of the church. The wounds, they're clearly going to be part of what people bring to the table. And that's not a filter in the sense that's negative. That is their experience. And that's going to be something that's going to be very much part of the listening. So I wouldn't say that'll be blocking the listening, but it'll be part of the listening. Then, of course, we also have the fact that we're in a time of massive transition, massive change. That's going on all over the place in the Western world, in Ireland in particular, in a rapid way in the past 30 years. So we're going to bring with us those filters of fears, uh, some perhaps wanting greater speed. But also, I think in a new way, perhaps this isn't something we've always taken 
I think, into consideration. We see it with the uh, COP26 and all the rest, and a growing anxiety among younger generations about their future. What's the future going to be like for us in mm. this planet, in this world? I think that's going to be part of our listening as well. Not that it's going to block it, but it's going to be part of it. But there, there's a, an essay that comes to mind that most undergraduates who are studying leadership or management get. It's one called That Culture Eats Strategy for Breakfast. And I'm thinking about whatever the strategy is of the church to bring about change, the culture of it is going to impede it. Culture, yeah, the culture certainly is going to be uh, what is the transformation for all of us. And I think we're all entering into that. Uh, that's something new. We all know the number of people under 30 going to church is minimal. Uh, that's a huge cultural change compared to 50, 60 years ago. Uh, we're entering into a vastly different times in terms of availability of clergy. That's not just us. It's not just our church. It's across the board. So we're moving into that cultural challenge. Uh, it's a new moment and it's a new moment for the bishops. It's a new moment for everybody. That's. It's not, I can't say that we're simply outsiders looking in and describing a culture change. We're all in the middle of it and that's part of it. We're actually in the middle of this change. Ursula Halligan, do you believe you'd be listened to in a synodal process? Well, I hope so. I believe Bishop Brendan is a is a reasonable man. I don't think we've met, so I hope that we would get a chance to meet. And um, I would absolutely think that uh, Bishop Brendan is sincere in that. Um, I, I mean, we're very happy that this synodal process is underway and we believe it's long overdue and we really hope that it will bring about meaningful encounters and uh, what Bishop Brendan was saying there um, give us opportunities to really talk to one another and to listen to one another. Because we, I'm a member, as you said in the intro, uh, of We Are Church, and we care about our church. But as Bishop Brendan said, it is not a building, but it's also not a hierarchy, and it's not an institution. And at the moment, all the power, all the decision-making is centred on for men and women, if you've ever met a woman who has a vocation and has and cannot fulfill it within the Catholic Church, it is one of the saddest things to behold. And we really need to be talking to these women because it's not a case of throwing a cardinal like a bone to women and saying, well, you're all after power. No, we are not. We are looking for women who have vocations to be able to fulfill them. And that means, that means changing the whole structure of the Catholic Church that has been there for the last 700 years in its current form. What it sounds like you're describing, Ursula, is reformation. And, and is, is that what this process needs or is going to be about? No, that's the last thing I want. Because what happened during the Reformation was there was a huge split. And we're hanging in there and we are a church and there's lots of Catholics hanging in there because the core of the gospel is that we are all one. And the challenge of life and the challenge of being in a church is to learn to live together because we share a common parent. And Bishop Brendan, you and I share a faith which is really precious to us. So we're both under... Um, a great obligation to work so that we can iron out our differences in love and to see ourselves and each other through the eyes of the divine. And miracles can happen when we do that. 
I truly believe that. And, you know, it really saddens me. I was watching The Late Late Show on Friday night. I don't know if you saw it, but Ficky Phelan was on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Ficky Phelan is a real icon for Irish women, her bravery, what she went through. But towards the end, Ryan Turberty just asked her, you know, um, about the future. And she was talking very honestly about her funeral, about her imminent death. And she just dismissed the institutional Catholic Church just as if it was a beaten docket. She just moved on. She was having a humanist funeral. Now, there have been a number of high-profile people who are in difficult situations and they are not going near the the Catholic Church. And the tragedy of this for us, for me as a Christian, for us in We Are Church, is that it means the gospel message and the love of Christ is not being communicated to people. Already two generations have walked away from the institutional church. They don't ad- identify with a hierarchy. The most distinctive flaw in, this structural, in the structures of our church at the moment is its sexist nature. Women are totally excluded. When I go to Mass, it's the male pronoun all the time in the readings. If you read any of the Vatican documents, it's actually the official policy. It has to use the male pronoun. When I was growing up, I couldn't be an altar girl. I didn't have that choice. When I looked at the altar, there were no female representations uh, of women in the liturgical garb that the men were. I knew immediately that it was sending out, even as a four-year-old. And my mother had to put a little hat on. She had to cover my head for me to go into the church. Now, that at least has changed. But, but that's the attitude of, unfortunately, the hierarchical church to women. These are long-standing, deep-seated attitudes, and they have to change. And I am hopeful, Bishop Brendan, in the theological sense of hope. I am hopeful because, as I said, we share a common parent that we have faith in, that we can overcome these differences. Bishop Brendan, can can I bring you in on that? Oh, sure. Look, I mean, the common faith that Ursula is talking about is what grounds our hope, as she says. Uh, I, look, Ursula, you've got your experience and I appreciate many people will echo what you say too. And I absolutely acknowledge there's a lot of truth in what you're saying because that's your experience and I accept that. But I, I suppose in a certain sense, I think I would have to say obviously there are a lot of women who have an experience of church as meaningful for them and also as involving them in some way at the level of faith, the level of commitment. On the day-to-day life of the church, a lot of women are involved in all kinds of ways every day. The life of the church, in fact, is the majority, as we know. Certainly in the terms of decision-making issues, that definitely is something that has to be addressed. I think we're all aware of that, absolutely. No, but what about women with with vocations, Bishop Brendan? What about them? And what's more, the former Archbishop of Dublin, Dermot Martin, was upfront about saying that the issue of women is the biggest issue facing the Irish church at the moment. And a recent survey showed that women, um, it was a huge issue how they felt um, marginalised and invisible and treated as second-class citizens. So, you know, we have to look at the facts. We have to listen to people. Of course, there are some women, I know them myself, who will say, well, I'm fine. I'm comfortable, actually. I've never felt marginalised. One woman said that to me recently. But, you know, my response to that is, well, that is wonderful that you feel like that. But as soon as anyone feels comfortable in our church, surely, Bishop Brendan, 
aren't we obliged to look around immediately and say, well, who isn't comfortable? Isn't that where our focus should be? Aren't we supposed to be continually emptying ourselves towards the other to make them comfortable? Isn't that what we're supposed to be doing? Ah, uh, well, certainly emptying ourselves to out, go out and reach out to the others, of course, absolutely right in that, Ursula. That's why we must look around at all levels. There's no doubt about exactly. that. Exactly. Can I bring? So, if there's one person that isn't comfortable, we need to be reaching out for that person. I want to bring Derek into the conversation as well to both of you. Derek Scally in Berlin this evening. Your book, The Best Catholics in the World, a fascinating observation uh, about uh, you know where we are and, and uh, right this minute and how maybe different we are in Ireland when it comes to our faith. Uh, the role of women that, uh, that Ursula is talking about there, uh, what was your observation? Um, well, I would just say um, two things. I mean, it's a, it's a very interesting time to be talking about renewal in the Catholic Church because the largest group that was in the Catholic Church has walked away, as, uh, as Ursula said, and won't have no part in it. And what, what I was trying to do with my book is um, it doesn't really take much moral courage to walk away from the Catholic Church today. I have huge respect for people who've chosen to stay, like Ursula and others. It's much. It almost takes much courage to stay in the Catholic Church now than it would have been not to go to Mass in Ireland 50 years ago. Um, but the people who have walked away, um, they seem to be beyond... They, they cannot be reached anymore. So to have a conversation about the church with these people who were part of our past and the past of Catholic Ireland are no longer there and they believe by leaving, they've taken a moral stand. I'd be very doubtful about an adult conversation about the future of the church in any sort of a meaningful way as part of Irish society if the coming to terms with the past is not complete. And we're still seeing, you know, this dragging on. We're 30 years into this now. And unfortunately, the longer it drags on, the more people who've walked away. So the Irish Catholic Church will be a shrunken institution and the people who have chosen to remain part of the Catholic Church, it's a, a time part of its past. I worry that we're going to build something on contested territory, on land that has never actually hasn't been perfectly... Uh, we haven't really come to terms with um, the ambivalence towards the past, but also our own role in the past. You know, like not everyone in Catholic Ireland was a victim of Catholic Ireland. Not everyone in Ireland in Catholic gone by as a perpetrator, you know, 95% of the population was in between, but people saw things and didn't see things. They felt able to act or not able to act. So trying to deal with that ambivalence is what I was trying to do with the book, to try and build a, a way to for the future. So I almost worry that while this listening, this synodal process is overdue, it's almost coming too soon for Ireland because many people believe because they no longer go to Mass on a Sunday that they have no responsibility for our collective past. What I would say is in in Germany, they have been going through a synodal process at the moment. It's going on, and many people here are. It's, it's in its sort of its final stages, and there have been a lot of talk of things like reformation and is the German Church going to split again. But many people I've spoken to who've been involved with the process, they say, look, the problem isn't listening. The problem is hearing. Um, all of the issues, everyone knows in advance before the synodal process, the universal synodal process begins. Everyone knows what the the main issues will be. Nobody has discussed what will we do when I will I actually will will people actually hear what people are saying? Uh, Ursula and her group have been saying what they've been saying for many years. 
what happens when that's said in a synodal process? What is the plan for that? Because if it's just a listening exercise, um, in Germany they're really worried that it, it actually will, uh, will the last of the credibility will literally be vaporized because it was a process in listening. And that many people who are starting to walk away from the synodal process in Germany are saying there was no means, there was never any intention of taking this seriously. Any serious decisions couldn't be taken by this process, let's say the role of women in the church, and that it's actually just about simulating listening and simulating a process of discussion and that, that it's actually going nowhere. And so I'm, I do see the need for this synodal process, but I, for, so for those are my two concerns. Number one, Ireland is still not really coming to terms with its collective Catholic past uh, and there are ways of doing that. And secondly, the synodal process in itself, um, it's if there's no provision for hearing and it's just all about listening and sim it, it, the cynic in me would say it's just about the, the impression that something's happening when there is no actual real, there will be no real appetite at the end universally to change uh, the issues that many people feel need to be changed. So Bishop Brendan, what we're hearing here is that uh, this is an emotional experience for a lot of people. And one of those emotions that could occur is apathy. In other words, people are becoming a little bit exhausted. Have you any idea how many people have actually already supplied or replied or input into the central process? Oh, well, that's a good point to make, that we're actually in a phased process. Now that we're very much at the very beginning and the beginning process is simply setting the foundations which happens in our case to coincide with the universal synodal process. So actually for us there's a good fortune in that. The synodal process, the, the universal synodal process is asking the you know how question. How do we get on with one another as a church? How do we communicate with one another in, in the church? What's the best way to communicate with one another? That's the first phase we're at. That's gradually building up momentum. It's it, it's not going to be, you know, a major lightning strikes. It's gradual. And that's what I think we want to do this time around. We've had major events which were very successful in their own way, the World Meeting of Families, the Eucharistic Congress. But perhaps they were big events, came and went. We want this to be something that, in a certain sense, is going to last over time. So it needs to have sure foundations and it needs to be steady as we go and uh, I, I think you know moving in then to next year we'll see another step and then we'll you know we'll be moving on from there so over time Is there a critical mass that have to contribute to this for it to be successful? I mean if you've got four or five hundred people putting in submissions um, that you know would, you, would, would it even give you a, a reasonably good statistical sample of what people are thinking? Basically, way back there that was way back um, in March when we launched the Synod first yeah, people were saying, gave us different ideas about how to go about listening. Some said questionnaires, some said, no, no, keep well away from questionnaires. Have, you know, moments where there can be deep listening. So it mightn't necessarily be a big parish gathering. It might be a smaller gathering, a cup of coffee, just a time together for groups, reach out to groups that are maybe more marginalised. What Ursula was talking about in terms of women, there are other course of groups as well that would feel maybe that, you know, they're far away from the church, so are just simply in society marginalised. And then there are categories of people that you'd want to meet anyway, like people suffering from addictions, mental health issues. They are half the Catholic Church. Women aren't a group. They're not a minority group. They're half the Catholic Church. And I've been listening to you there now, and I am getting worried because there doesn't seem to be any sense of urgency uh, in what you've just said there. I mean, you're talking about good communication. And good communication, uh, you know, uh, 
calling people objectively disordered and their love intrinsically evil isn't the way to go about a dialogue. So I would be expecting to hear from you proposals about how you're going to change that wording because it is still in the official catechism. And you mentioned the world meeting of families. I mean, when we applied in We Are Church to get a stall, we weren't allowed to get a stall. And when the Rainbow, the International Rainbow Group of Catholics also applied, they, they couldn't get one either, even though we know from insiders who contacted us afterwards that there was no shortage of stalls. But we, we, we weren't, you know, the world meeting of families. Now, I know many same-sex families and they are the most beautiful, loving, committed families in the world. And they were so hurt by that event. Uh, uh, event. So I, I hear none of that coming in what you've said. It's all process and we do this and we do that and maybe we'll send a questionnaire. We need, it's like, you know, it reminds me, Brett Thunberg, if she was here, she'd say, your house is on fire, Bishop. Yeah, Please don't process go into blah, is important blah, blah, though, Ursula. You know, blah. we need patience as well. There's process, you know, in oh, any yes, conversation, we, we, we have you patience. need time. We will have patience. Uh, we will, but we need to f- f- hear a greater sense of urgency. Ursula, you, you have a, you have a well, personal I conviction. I just might cut it there. There's something yeah. that needs to be said about, I mean, the, just from, again, the German experience is Germany and it's very different, but there's a common ground in that we, when you come up against the issues of, of, of major disagreement, and we know what they are, it's um, artificial birth control, it's the role of women and the role of lay people in the church, just to name a few. Um, when those issues have been raised here, of course, what happens is inevitable that the bishops will say, well, of course, those are issues beyond our purview. Those are matters for the universal church. So the Almost, you almost need to do some expectation management now of what is what is actually for technical or church teacher, teaching reasons out of bounds. That there is no point having these arguments apparently because this cannot be decided in Dublin or in in Limerick. It has to be decided in Rome. So the question is, what do we expect of the Irish Catholic Church when they participate in those discussions in Rome? What will the voice be of the Irish Bishops' Conference? And and there you come up against a structural issue. And I think this is a question that can yeah. be asked in the Irish synodal process. Uh, an issue I realized came across over and over again with my book. The Irish Bishops' Conference is a meeting of equals and um, the Irish Catholic Church, because no bishop has any, um, there's no hierarchy within the Irish Bishops' Conference so that you are basically moving at the pace of the slowest, the slowest learner, the slowest, the person who realises last that the church is on fire or that the church is sinking. The question would be how can the Irish Catholic, the Bishops' Conference change that it actually can move with, with a pace that actually makes things happen? And the second issue, we've seen it coming up recently, how will Irish bishops reform how they deal with priests? I mean, some of the most shocking stories I've heard from priests about how, dealt, how bishops deal with them, it sounded like medieval times. There seems to be some sort of a misunderstanding of uh, priests by their bishops, some bishops, and there have been letters from bishop priests that some bishops are bullies. What will the approach there be? So I think there are certain things that will unfortunately be beyond a synod in Ireland because they need to be dealt with in the Universal Synod. Um, but what will the Irish bishops be saying on behalf of the Irish Church and those issues? And also how will Irish bishops reform how they interact with each other so that the slowest learners uh, don't actually hold up the show because that really seems to be the glacial pace of reform is caused by a dysfunctional Irish Bishops' Conference. I'd be very interested in how that will be reformed. Bishop Redder, we're hearing both from Ursula and Derek there, uh, I suppose, a sense of maybe what, disappointment or even apathy as to what a synod might actually achieve. What, what can you 
when you do to reassure people that it's still worth engaging? Well, look, I, look, I mean, it's a bit in the early side in Ireland to start saying uh, disappointment or apathy. We're only getting going. I appreciate there's an urgency, urgency of the Holy Spirit, though, to do things according to the to the logic mm. of the Holy Spirit. That's important as well. And, we, you know, you have to reach out to people right down in all levels uh, in detail and try to do that in a way that keeps everybody on board gradually bring everybody into this dynamic, into this process. We're at early times yet. But look, I also believe we have to do, as Arthur said earlier, we have to keep the virtue of hope alive here. The church is bigger than yes. any one red button issue. <laughs> yeah. The church is deeper and more significant in our lives than any one particular issue. And that's something we have to keep alive. Faith is ultimately what this is about. The faith that, over, don't forget, all over Europe is going through a crisis. Other parts of the world will have different things to say. It won't be the same urgency with regard to certain issues in other parts of the world. They will have issues like world famine and and issues like that that they'll be bringing to us. So we'll all together have to discover what is it that the Holy Spirit at this moment in time wants the whole church to move forward with. And I think that's what we're in the business of trying to find out. But Ursula, we've been obviously recognising your work as a journalist, but but as a gay woman with with a profound faith, can I ask you directly, why are you still holding fast to that institution and to the organisation if it seems to be well, so contrary to, to what you would like. Oh, no, uh, because there's, no, there's never been a perfect church, Michael. There never will be a perfect church. We are, um, the reason I stay is because we are essentially relational beings. The gospel, gospel message is a social one. It's not meant for isolated individuals. Um, the challenge is, the challenge of being truly human is to learn how to live in harmony together, even with people who describe us as objectively disordered and our love is intrinsically evil. So, uh, and I do have a deep faith and I do believe that miracles can happen. And, um, and that is why I am hopeful for the synodal process, even though I was getting worried there for a bit listening uh, to Bishop Brendan, because there is also a sense of urgency that is, is needed here. We are at um, a crucial time in our history, I believe. And um, when we speak of the church... People, a lot of people, unfortunately, automatically think of the hierarchical church, which is the patriarchal church, which is the all-male church. And women are not a minority group. We are half the church. We are half the world's population. And unfortunately, we, uh, the church has treated women appallingly. Now, we see in the modern world, we see all sorts of wonderful, miraculous things happen. We see uh, we have a women's rugby team. We have a women's international soccer team. We have women international boxers. Women are doing this and they're doing that. And, 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 and society is, a, is giving women scope to, to really flourish. And that is not in any way to downgrade motherhood or anything like that. That is just absolutely important as well. But in the past, women were pigeonholed and, 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 and just into those rigid categories. And my question, so, Ursula, is so about... So things are happening and, you know, the church will, will get left, be, the institutional church will get totally left behind if it doesn't listen because the spirit, God's grace is everywhere. God's grace infuses all of us. It infuses the world. There is wonderful goodness everywhere. Uh, The church doesn't contain God. God is not a Catholic. Really, God is not a Jew. God is not a Muslim. God is way beyond any of our little little labels. But wherever we are, wherever we, whatever our faith tradition is, and I believe that uh, the Catholic tradition, the Christian tradition, is a really precious, beautiful one. That is where we we just have a task to do something good and loving in our life, wherever we find ourselves. And that is why I care about our church, and I do.
And that's the leap of faith. Thanks to my guests, Bishop Brendan Leahy in Limerick, in Berlin, Derek Scally, and remotely from her home, Ursula Halligan. On sound this evening was Mark McGrath, and our broadcast coordinator was Jarlath Holland. From our producer, Sheila Callan, and me, Michael Cummin. Good night. And The Leap of Faith will be back at the same time next week. You can listen back to any of the previous programmes on the RTE radio player.